Welcome to the Intellectual Freedom Podcast, where the political, cultural, technological, and other influential forces of social and mass media are analyzed under the light of critical thinking. You will not find extremist dogma, political partisanship, or herd groupthink here. I won't attempt to convince you of anything. I want to take an unflinching look at complex, hard topics intellectually. In the end, I don't care what you think, just that you think critically, as this allows you to unleash your own intellectual freedom and creativity in how you view the world you live. I am Dr. David Hopkins, adjunct professor of the humanities, your guide on this journey. But enough with the introduction, let's get started. Benjamin Franklin said, Those who can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. You know, this podcast is all about the American surveillance state, and I've been watching this for a number of years, and it seems to get more and more intense and so I thought it would be a good idea to produce a podcast on this topic and so you know if you want to boil a frog alive you know you don't drop that frog into a pot of boiling hot water because that frog is instantly just going to jump out it's going to fight it's going to do anything it can to escape frantically and desperately What you want to do is you place this frog in a nice lukewarm pan. Then you slowly over time, you just turn up the heat and the frog will barely notice the change. It will just adjust to the slowly, almost imperceptible increase in heat until its body begins to slowly shut down. And ultimately, that frog will die. It's going to die quietly, meekly, and basically without a fight. As an analogy, you and I are the frog. The technological surveillance state is the man boiling us slowly, almost imperceptibly. And the sad thing is we're comfortable with it. The truth is those in power know they have us in a state of acceptance. They've trained us through the technolo- the technological age to put for to put comfort, to put convenience above everything else. You and I have been conditioned to think that the easiest way is always the best way in regards to life in this age of technology. Oh, how we have been conditioned that this technology is our friend, making our lives so much better, even when we get this little pang, this little inkling of, wow, this just doesn't seem right. But generally, we fall right back in line with a kind of a shrug of the shoulders and, oh, well, this is the way things are now. And we just simply stay in the herd, just like water seeks the lowest point or your GPS on the roadway searches to find the quickest, the safest route. Our modern life is one to seek the path of least resistance. But here comes the kicker. Your brain does exactly the same thing naturally. So those that create technology, they understand how our brain works. The more comfortable you become 
And the more times you repeat an action or you accept an outcome as good or safe, the more entrenched those neural pathways in your brain for that particular activity become. You may not even realize it, but most of your habits and your perceptions of technology have been created over time and are much deeper than just basic surface characteristics that we can turn off or on. You know, they they continue, the technology industry, just daily shaping our perception. And right now, the fact is that in general, we trust the technological machine. We marvel at the new, the extraordinary power of these of technology, we exclaim almost joyously, wow, that thing is going to make life so easy, so great, uh, so much better on all things. Yay, technology, we cheer. You know, the other day I, I left the house and I forgot my cell phone on the kitchen table. And as I'm driving down the street, you know, I tap my my pants pocket and, I, and this huge feeling of dread, almost like I lost a limb, like, oh my goodness, the world is going to end. It just hit me in an instant. How in the world am I going to survive these next few hours at the store without my phone on me? And instantaneously, I get this urge, oh, I just have to go back. You know, how pathetic is that? Bet you've had that feeling of dread before, too. You know, I'm completely programmed and most likely... You are too. As a humanities professor, this phenomenon culture just fascinates me and it scares me to death. So let me talk about the surveillance state. You know, when I when I say we are in a surveillance state, you know, it can't a surveillance state can't exist first without this huge leap in technology innovation which we have. And then with the technology, you need a buy-in by the population. And in general, for a surveillance state to form, the state requires this population, by and large, to view the quote-unquote surveillance as a solution to complex social issues, not a problem. You say that again, to actually have a surveillance state that works at the onset of this surveillance state, the population has to view this technology as a solution to problems, not a cause of the problem. In the private sector, let's start there. With Google, Amazon, Instagram, Facebook, you name whichever one it is, even your GPS on your phone, you know, they, they see this surveillance as a means to deliver to you, based on your past actions online, content, goods, services, relevant to you. Uh, you're, it's like a personalized concierge giving you convenience that's only a click away from what you love, what you like, what you use. And society buys this and accepts it as true. How nice of them, right? These altruistic tech titans. Of course, all these companies have become multi-billion dollar entities bordering on trillion dollar companies with one over the top and another one right on its heels that put 
you know, even some small countries, their entire economies to shame as far as their size. In the public sphere, I think we can point to the Patriot Act. And, you know, after the horrors of 9-11, the game changed dramatically on our perceptions of surveillance. Also, cameras on almost every street corner, cameras on almost every traffic light, you know, searching smartphones without a warrant. These are just to name a few of the standard practices that we have absorbed and we've accepted over time. You know, you know you are in a surveillance state when institutions, both public and private, collect information on everyone without regard to innocence or guilt and pretends it is not surveillance but rather it is either one convenience or two safety so right now you and i in the united states of america are living in a surveillance state without any question you know don't mind us say the institutions we're just monitoring your every move but of course it's for your own good individually and collectively as a country uh-huh a sur- if we were not in a surveillance state they would not monitor the lives of innocent individuals sadly though there are still way too many people in this country that don't mind this surveillance state. Some actually like it because it, quote unquote, just makes life easier. And hey, people are watching me online. Yay. Other people might think that no information about them can be incriminating. And this mantra, oh, if they want to watch me, sure. Uh, they, they're going to get really bored reading my email. Ha, ha, ha. Others have been duped into believing, isn't it great the government is watching us? It catches all those bad guys. Really? Is it helping the crime rates? How many feel so much safer today than, say, 20 years ago? In this age of internet, an always connected world. The technological advances have effectively ended us having a private life. We don't want to admit this or think about it, but it is true. Every American in any city, basically in an industrial in the industrialized world, can be and probably is kept under surveillance. 24 hours a day under the eyes of some institution, some technology somewhere. If the government and others really wanted to know your exact whereabouts this year, and I'm talking the entire year, not just one day, they could almost certainly, through technology, piece together not only where you were, but what you searched online, what you bought, what you spent, how much time you spent on the road, I mean, they literally could throw together your entire life for an entire year if they wanted to based on the data imprints of your life. So 
the possibility of enforcing not only complete obedience to the will of a state, but complete uniformity of opinion on all subjects, it now exists for the first time. And I know you may say, oh, come on, you, this is a humanities professor talking all kinds of hyperbole and crazy talk. Um, and it is true, obviously, the United States is not to that level yet, and let's just hope it never gets there. But if you look at places like China and their social credit system of evaluating good or bad communists, for example, that same technology that they use is already here probably at a more sophisticated level than even there. So if we're not careful, that could happen here. The means are in place right now. And so if you're unfamiliar with the Chinese social credit system, I encourage you to Google that and have a look at it. It's in effect right now. This is not hyperbole. This is not crazy talk. It is being used today. Basically, China, just like your your credit score that you have in the United States based on you know your ability to borrow money and pay it back on time, they have a social credit system, ranks you as a good or a bad communist, and it looks at everything, where you work, what you, what you surf on the web, uh, what you buy. It's, it's a holistic surveillance, and based on all of these factors and algorithms, they spit out a credit score number for you. And if you're a quote-unquote good communist, you may get access to the best government jobs. You may get access to uh, better health care. You might be able to move into better apartments. Um, you might be able to travel more frequently. Um, if you're a bad communist, maybe you can't send your kids to a private school. You have to go to a certain type of public school. Or maybe, you know, you want to travel abroad, you're not allowed to do so. This is in effect now. And this is maybe an extreme version of what a surveillance society can turn up to. Uh, but we shouldn't pretend this isn't important. Laugh it off as, as insignificant because it's not. So obviously the next question becomes, so what in, what in the world should I do? What do you want me to do? Destroy my my smartphone throw my laptop in a lake and move to the Alaskan tundra uh, where there's no cell phone towers to avoid the apocalypse well not necessarily we don't have to be so extreme the problem of the surveillance state is not so much what it knows about you today as what it can do to you with what it has someday you know, I personally, I just find this invasion of privacy infuriating, but this isn't really the crux of the problem. What really is the problem today is this surveillance fuels control and potential abuse. Right now, it may just be influencing and brainwashing you. As you know, we all know the negative impacts of social media mobs. Uh, this podcast isn't to discuss that, but the problem is the surveillance it holds the potential to fuel physical control as well you know the hardest part for an institution or a state to implement a surveillance system is overcoming that initial reluctance of americans to give up personal freedoms you know traditionally historically americans we love our personal freedoms we value them we we're very proud of them and, and we're known for personal freedom worldwide 
But you know, 9-11 provided incredibly, incredible cover on the public side for us to surrender our freedoms in the Patriot Act for quote-unquote personal safety, and we did it. Now the government, which has reauthorized this bill multiple times through Democrat and Republican, Bush reauthorized, Obama reauthorized, and now with Trump, we don't have a full reauthorization yet, but we see the flirtings back and forth. They attempted to bury it in the initial COVID-19 spending bill. Uh, they're, they're trying to sneak this thing through, but, you know, in this state of, of affairs, uh, you, even doing anything together is hard. But, but I think historically with the Patriot Act, if it shows, if it shows we can actually find something Democrats and Republicans in general agree on is they love surveilling what we do and have no problem taking our personal freedoms, of course, all in the name of quote unquote safety for America. On the private side, though, uh, it was easier for us to just acquiesce to this surveillance, you know, funny videos, cute animal pictures, connecting with friends and family, and we get all of it for free. None of those apps cost us anything. Wow, that's amazing. What a deal. You know, what a joke. We bought the for free mantra on cell phones. My goodness, that cell phone is a it's just like having an embedded tracking device in your body. Computer apps, social media sites, all for free access, free. Just give us your email and you're in and voila. But we should know better. We should know nothing is free forever. And if you've studied this topic at all, you understand they give that to you for free because it's not the app they're selling. You are what they are selling. Your online behaviors are for sale. If you haven't figured it out yet, what you do is for sale. They make a ton more money aggregating your actions online than you could ever pay them in subscription fees. They're surveilling your every move and then they're selling those actions to advertisers in a hope to make money off you. But once that initial buy-in, that escape velocity, that jumping the high hurdle of acceptance by the population, and it's happened in this country on both the public and the private side, then the cost or the ability to get more and more and more data, it becomes easier and easier. And that's because we just submit to it. It's, it's just part of life in the 21st century, and it's pretty much all good. Once the buy-in hurdle has, went, has been breached, all of a sudden, the more and more data these institutions collect and the more and more they can and will use it. If they don't really use it, as they sometimes claim they don't, why in the world waste the time, money, server space, cloud space to collect it in the first place? Yet we numbly and blindly accept their simpleton mantras of, oh, we would never use the data or sell it. Well, then why do you keep it? Every week there's a data abuse case or data breach case um, 
And usually it ends with a technology company or a government agency saying basically, oops, our bad. Uh, we're so sorry about that. We're going to get better at it. We promise we're, this is never going to happen again until, of course, the next time it happens again. On the political side, the more the states know, the state, and not the states, the 50 states, but the state, the government knows, the more controls in, it will enforce in the future. It never ends. It's a series of continually increasing the control factor. You know, law-abiding people must fear state surveillance because it makes it more and more likely that they will become non-law-abiding without any change in their behavior. So let me explain how that works because this is where we can heighten our awareness and heighten our resolve to stop it. You know, if you don't believe politicians pay very, very close attention to your behaviors, you're dead wrong. If politicians can identify behaviors they like or behaviors they don't like and monitor exactly those behaviors, do you suppose it not possible they then can take those behaviors and enact laws to promote or stop a behavior. Of course they can. The social credit system in China proves that they can do this. They are using these technologies now in enforcing existing laws in this country. Why would you suppose they wouldn't enact more behavior laws if it suits them politically have you ever known a politician not interested in more power i've yet to meet one maybe someday i will be able to meet one of these unicorn politicians but i have it hasn't happened yet you know i don't i don't know exactly what these dirty political parties we have now both the democrat and the republic could do or would do their devious minds might be worse than what I could even imagine but if they can do anything to keep and expand their power who is to say they wouldn't use it on us or use this powerful data against us for example Democrats get in power see you searching firearms and how to buy firearms you become a quote-unquote target as a danger to society for that action or Republicans get in power see you searching socialism or communism and all of a sudden you become a target as a potential threat to the United States of America's democracy I mean I'm just throwing out two very superficial examples you know I don't know what it might be but the potential is scary the potential if one disagrees or chooses actions against the prevailing power structure and it is all of a sudden a crime and the state can monitor you, this makes you a target, causes you to lose a job maybe or pay a fine or go to jail or I don't know what it would or could be, but the potential is there from just merely all this data that is being surveilled all the time and I hope I'm dead wrong I hope I'm I hope I'm gone and buried if we ever get to a Chinese style 
social credit system in this in this country but the foundation has been laid and the concrete base has been poured for this to happen you know the law abiding all of us who gave up the initial power in the name whether we gave it up in the name of safety or whether we gave it up for convenience or ease we could easily become ensnared by new laws adopted because state rulers know that they have the data and the enforcement capacity to do it through surveillance thus the level of surveillance is only going to multiply and the number of new laws imposed on the former law abiding is is just a basic logical next step technology applied the wrong way by the wrong people over an extended period of time could end life as we know it in the United States of America I want to say that one more time technology applied the wrong way by the wrong people over an extended period of time could end life as we know it in the United States of America and you know as as I've studied this topic and I look at different societies and cultures you know the surveillance state which is a very new topic in its modern iteration it basically requires four different things number one as I've spent a lot of time talk about, it starts off being purposeful and justified on a publicly agreeable goal. People have to surrender and think, yes, this is this is justified to keep us safe, or yes, I love this, it's easy, it's convenient, it's useful, it helps me be more efficient. So it starts off as having this great purpose and it's justified. And then after that buy-in happens, it becomes routine. It happens as we all go about our daily life. It's in the it's it's embedded, it's weaved into the life. And it's not even always visible or perceptible. You know, there would used to be these things called paper maps. And when we would travel to a new town or a new city or across states, we would buy these paper maps and they were impossible to fold and we would open them up and we would use it to get from destination A to B. I mean, in all honesty, when was the last time you've even seen a map? I'm not sure. Maybe they still sell them in a store. I would love to see. I, I should check that out next time I go in a gas station. If they even sell a paper map anymore. I mean, the GPS to get us from point A to B is just so ingrained in society. Um, it's just routine. And so for us to have a surveillance society, that has to happen. The surveillance is always systematic. It's planned and it's carried out to a very specific schedule. It's rational. It's not merely random. Um, you know, Google and its algorithms is a constantly rationally evolving creature to maximize its surveillance so that it can pass it to its companies that buy ads on its on the search engine and voila. You know, FBI, another one in researching this is, did you realize up until about 2010, the United States had collected more total DNA samples than any other country on the planet Earth? That includes China, that has three times our population. Now, China has passed us 
in its DNA database and in total samples, but per capita, we still have the largest DNA database of any country on earth. And you're like, whoa, how did that happen? I don't remember ever giving a DNA sample. Uh, I don't know either. And this isn't the place to go into such a go down the rabbit hole into the wood of, of how that happened. Uh, you know, that would make this make this podcast turn into a, a two hour thing more than likely. But surveillance is systematic. And then finally, it's focused. Surveillance gets down to the minute details. I know we hear our big tech companies. Oh, well, we don't know specifically this person or that. We're aggregating this data and it's not anything personal. It's just this massive database of nothing. Yeah, right. We know and we have seen just through legal proceedings that they get as small and detailed as they want to get. And so... This surveillance, it aggregates, it stores the data, and this data can be transmitted, it can be retrieved, it can be compared, it can be mined, it could be traded, it could be bought, it could be sold. Oh, we know this all too well. I mean, we we know there's intense value in this aggregation, just looking at the at the stock prices of our big tech companies. But it is incredibly focused and it is incredibly detailed. Now, as we move to the to the end of this podcast, the solutions, because the solutions are challenging. You know, what can we do? You know, short of moving to the Alaskan tundra, getting rid of your cell phone and throwing your laptop in a lake. Well, Number one, we need to minimize as much as we possibly can tracking exposure. Collectively, as a society, there are things we can do. There are VPNs. There are browsers, private browsers. Even apps for our phones that prevent institutions from tracking us personally. And we're not doing this because we are doing something wrong. But we should do this because we don't need to be surrendering power just because to multi-billion dollar companies or the government. Because if we minimize the ability for companies and governments to target us personally, it minimizes without any legal proceedings, revolutions or anything like that, the power that the power potential of the surveillance society. Also, we need to stay alert to the politics of technology. You know, I hate to say it, but forget Russia collusion, drama impeachment escapades, infidelity stories, childish name calling and jabbing and blaming each other for COVID-19, blaming each other for riots, for every whatever little thing under the sun that they want to blame each other. Forget their nonsense in those areas. Don't pay attention to the headline hearings. 
where all these politicians, they get two or three minutes of fame in front of a national audience so they can pontificate and spout out silliness and demagoguery rhetoric for the entire world to hear in hopes that a little soundbite will be picked up by uh, and, and go viral on YouTube. This, this is just Washington, D.C. political theater. I've come to realize there is literally no value in any of these public hearings. They're theater. They're opportunities for politicians to expand, enhance their names. But really what we need to pay attention to are the little publicized hearings, the quiet votes that are scheduled without any hype without any fanfare because this is where the real danger is the danger is not when they're in front of the bright lights of national media and it's and it's showtime for them uh, what's really important is when those quiet votes happen those quiet little things you know, I bet you didn't even realize in the last COVID-19 bill as they were saying how wonderful grand and we're going to help the small business owners. We're going to send you checks. We're going to make sure the airlines have money. We're going to do this, that, and the other. Do you realize embedded inside of that bill was a three-month extension of the Patriot Act? Did you even realize that was buried in there? didn't get one word from one politician anywhere that was a three-month extension as they tried to work out the final as as i believe i'm talking to you now they still don't have a full reauthorization but see if you really want to know what is impacting you in washington dc look for the stuff that they are quiet as a field mouse about that's where the real danger is at then anytime they want to expand surveillance, let, let slide privacy protections, call them, text them, social media them, and say no. You know, it's interesting. Trust in Congress is less than 20%. Their approval rating is less than 20%. I mean, that that is so horrifically bad. 80 over roughly 80 you know it goes up and down over time but you know roughly 80 percent of the country don't tr they do not trust congress so why in the world would we trust them when they want to take away our personal freedoms and they say it's for your safety we need to expand this or that surveillance program why in the world would we accept that from a group of people that can't garner even 20% approval or trust rating. You know, in the end, I'm going to end right where I began and consider this quote one more time as, as we look at our lives and what we can do to try and minimize and stop and slow this progress of this surveillance society that's continually growing as, as technology continues to grow. Benjamin Franklin said this, quote, they who can give up essential liberty to obtain a little temporary safety deserve neither 
liberty, nor safety. Thank you for listening. I hope you found value for the time you invested in the podcast today. The best way to expand intellectually is to engage in real dialogue in a way that fosters growth, understanding, and rigorous discussion without the name-calling, demagoguery, and flame-throwing silliness of social media and the rest of society. You know, for discussion on this topic and many others, you can go over to my website at davidhopkins.com. That's davidhopkins.com. And I will personally join you there. And so will other like-minded thinkers be there as well. But until the next podcast, I wish you much joy and success in all that you do. Have a wonderful day.